We have an incredible guest for you today. I cannot wait to have this conversation. This brother's been going crazy viral across multiple channels. Uh, probably more known for his first soft white underbelly interview. I said first because there was a follow-up recently on Vlad TV. Tens of millions of views. Incredible story. We got my guy, Johnny Chang, man. Hey, what's up, bro? Pleasure, pleasure. Appreciate <laughs> you being here, brother. Thank you for making the right down, right down San Fernando Valley. So it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a trip. Yeah, definitely, but well worth it, man. Yeah, and, and we have some mutual uh, friends in common, we man. Do, bro. China Mac, shout yes, out sir. China Mac. That's shout the guy out right China there. Mac for sure. We're gonna have China Mac on soon. Zach, can you turn him up a little bit? He's a little more quiet than I am. <laughs> um, and uh, which is great though, because because the way you you tell your story, bro, and just the stoic nature of it, it's like. It's amazing, man. Thank you, brother. Um, so there's a whole lot I want to talk to you about. Obviously, um, the viral sensation. Obviously, um, everything that's changing now for you. Um, you sharing the gospel so boldly and so clearly, so simply, uh, articulating it with metaphors and the the apple seed and all that. Like your brain, the way your brain works is is so cool. And you got a YouTube channel of your own. Yes. But before we get into all of that, man, like let's just let's just for folks who don't know your story, um, let's get let, let's go back to the beginning. Where are you? Where's your family originally from, and where were you born? So I was born in uh, San Gabriel Valley, um, L.A. area, um, and my parents are actually from uh, Korea, but ethnically they're Chinese. Okay. Um, Traditionally, they're Korean, right? Okay. So they're brought up in Korea. But my my grandparents originally are from northern China, fled communist regime as everybody was in China, just going everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, we ended up in, in, or they ended up in South Korea. Okay, so they were in South Korea. Yes. And then from South Korea, they came to California first? Yes. Okay. Yes, they did. They landed in Monterey Park, or actually Koreatown first, and then shot down to like east la monterey park they yeah. moved more east yeah. yeah so me and my family came out as refugees i was six when we came to mm -hmm. america from azerbaijan baku it's just north of iran yeah but we came as because there was a war and the pogroms of baku and all this naughty stuff what was the process of them coming like how does that work for other folks who immigrate like what was it to just save up their money and just like we're moving to america or how does that work yeah usually you have one person so my uncle my third uncle which is my 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 dad's older brother, um, he actually had, uh, he lived in Cerritos at the time and kind of got everything set up for my dad and my mom to come over. Okay. And how old were they? Uh, they were, I think my dad was 33, 34. My mom was what, 28, something like that. Okay. So they were young. Yeah. Yeah. My, my, my parents were about the same age. Mm -hmm. We came over, I was six and they come over. So you guys are, um, ethnically Chinese, mm -hmm. uh, but came from South Korea. Did they, uh, speak English? Uh, they they didn't speak English when they got here. Um, they actually learned how to speak English mm -hmm. here. Um, but they're both. My dad speaks Korean and Mandarin. My mom also Korean and Mandarin. Very cool. Yeah. And how long until you were born? Uh, I think they were here for about a year and a half or two, okay. and then I was born. And then siblings. Uh, I have an older brother. Okay, yeah. was he born back For, there? Yeah, no, he was born in, here as well. He was born here as yes. well. Okay, mm -hmm. so what is your upbringing like? Like you're you're growing up. Mm -hmm. the The immigrant thing is always interesting, man, yeah. especially in communities that 
have Americans like I remember coming in them that they were like oh you're you guys are commies like because Azerbaijan was a part of the Soviet Union right so I'm like fresh I don't know like what is communism like what do we even I didn't even know there was beef like that you know so what is your experience in terms of just growing up were you immersed in your own culture in terms of like all your friends and family mm-hmm. and everyone you were around was um was was Chinese or was it like a, a mixed group of people that you're growing up around? It was actually mixed. It was, you know, people who are from the San Gabriel Valley know this. It's 50% Asian, 50% Hispanic. Back then, it was more Hispanic. Mm. Um, you know, over the years, more Asians started immigrating in. But, um, yeah, it was it was like Chinese, Vietnamese, and and Hispanics, Mexican, Salvadorian, et cetera. So, um, yeah, it was, it was straight culture shock, bro. Mm. That's the first time, you know, we learned about bullying. That's mm. the first time we... Learned about gang culture, um, just a lot of drugs, alcohol, all that stuff. And was that in a response to some of the other gangs around? Or was that, hey, we're, we're just kind of be trendy because gangster rap is trendy and this is mm-hmm. what we're on. Like, like what was that? Because you guys had your own gangs, right? Yes. Now, we tried to start our own gang, but it was a complete flop. Like, we, <laughs> we, we, we it was three of us in the okay. same apartment building, you know? So, now to say, we got into a lot of trouble, but... You got, I mean, it sounds like you guys had official gangs and, you know, there was a whole lot to it. Yeah. Unpack some of that zeitgeist for me. I, I think, honestly, um, at least, and just speaking for my neighborhood, like, we we started up north and it was mainly for money. Mm. You know, um, we were just hustlers, more like mafiosos type stuff. But as they kind of moved down to Southern California, L.A. in itself has a crazy gang culture. Oh, yeah especially in the late 90s, 90s basically to early 2000s was all gangbanging. Yep. So uh, we adopted that a lot from the Hispanics. Um, we moved very similar to them. We dressed like them, some parts. Um, and yeah, it was just, that was the influential thing. It was like a mixture of also the gangster rap. So mm-hmm. I would say it was a, a, it pulled from everything from needing to make money because we were impoverished. And, um, you know, we we like listen to back then it was Tupac, Bone Thugs and yep, Harmony, yep. all those people yep. and just that gangster rap era. And then on top of that, being around people who were gang, like these Hispanic gangs that are in my area are go back to like 1930s, 1940s, mm. you know, so. Wow. Now, okay, because there's so many, you know, it's an interesting concept because when I was a kid, it was the same thing, bro. Like I, I grew up in Southeast San Diego, so not not the same but definitely a different time in the 90s and i remember doggy style coming out i remember the chronic i remember tupac getting out of jail and signing with death row like i remember these like monumental moments Mm -hmm. and in hindsight it's an interesting tension of like how much of this was life imitating art Mm -hmm. and how much of this was art reflecting the real life struggle right and so if you had to take an assessment Mm -hmm. do you think that gangster rap hurt impoverished areas where folks are growing up on section eight or do you think it was just a reflection and then it just becomes a a feedback loop like we we are this so we listen to this that makes us like this more and we stay like you know what i mean you know i I, that's such a tough question because for me personally like i remember when we would like we didn't do drugs so asians didn't do a lot of drugs so what would amp us up Mm -hmm. to go do drive-bys and stuff like that Mm -hmm. was gangster rap Mm. it was almost like putting us in a trend so i can say it kind of both sides where it's it's the art also reflecting but also it's it's really hard to say but for me personally in my personal experience i feel like the the rap influenced a lot because everyone at that time late 90s early 2000s 90s even all the way up 
it was just like everyone was gangbanging. Mm. Everyone had that look. Everyone had that feel. Like even kids in the math club, like mm-hmm. nerds, like had that, you know, Cortez is Chucks, mm-hmm. you know, big old long, you know, bandanas and this and that. And I'm just <laughs> like, man, that's crazy. Like everybody was banged out basically. Man, I remember my fourth grade year, I was a kid. And my fifth grade year, I was Dickie fitted out, bro. <laughs> Dickies, Ben Davis, ben Davis Chucks, yeah. <laughs> you know, and like that stark of a contrast. By the time I'm going into sixth grade, I'm already arrested. I already caught a case, yeah. right? And a saving grace <clears throat> for me was we never got access to guns. Mm. Like for whatever reason, like that just we were selling weed, we were doing all the goofy things that that, that you you do in that environment when your father you're not father's not in your life and all those sorts of things. But we never got access to firearms. And so but I would like carry a knife, mm-hmm. you know, and thought I was like a tough guy. And I remember this new kid moved in across the street and he was like I guess kind of bullying because I was like the only like one of three white white kids on the block because right. it's predominantly black and Hispanic in San Diego. Yeah. And I remember one time this kid confronted me and he goes, oh, you said you were going to stab me. Like you were wolfing. You said you were going to stab me. Like, what's up? We were walking to school and and I just froze up, bro. Yeah. I just froze up. And I had the, the knife on me and I, and, I, and I didn't go through with it. And there was something in me that just like I couldn't turn up all the way. And I don't know if it's just because we, because firearms made it easier to do stuff like yeah. that or what. But like, who knows where it could have went had I been like, all right, like yeah. I want to try to fight this dude that's bigger. <laughs> what a knife! Like, who knows how that that could have turned out? You know, yeah. in your situation, it 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 really went left. Mm-hmm. You know, and was it the access to firearms and that that whole thing that you think that kind of like got got you guys revved up to to do the drive bys mm-hmm. and all this stuff? I think it was just the influence in the area. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how how the politics and how Southeast San Diego programmed. I know it's pretty, pretty hood, you know, but um, the way that the San Gabriel Valley was, it was very racially divided. Mm. And, um, you know, you just, I remember people would just beat up other people based off of their race. And Mm. like this went back and forth. Asians did it to Mexicans. There were Mm. some of the homies who, you know, also hopped in the cars just hunting for them. And then there was, it also went the other way, you know? So um, when it was like that, there was a lot of turmoil. And I feel like it's because a lot of the people who grow up in Hispanic households and Chinese households, they don't have that love. Like Hispanics have that like machismo, like Mm. macho man type Mm -hmm. of thing. I don't tell my son I love you type of stuff. Mm. And Asians have the same thing. Mm. I never heard I love you from my parents. So and my dad was an alcoholic. So Mm. he would beat on me. And it was that rage that kind of I guess that trauma as a kid that really propelled me to to just go left on everything. Mm. And um you know, being in a gang, you you it kind of nurtures that mindset mm. of like impulsiveness, right? Like you just do whatever you do, mm. whatever comes to your angry fight. You want to rob somebody, rob somebody. You want to shoot somebody, shoot somebody. Like it's literally you don't have time to process anything. Mm. You're just like go, go, go. Do you think the machismo and the lack of uh, showing love with Hispanic? Asian families are I mean I would say Russian families Armenian families mm-hmm. same like even the word I love you in Russian mm-hmm. is a much more romantic word mm-hmm. than like like if I were to tell my son I love him in Russian it would just sound like I'm weird. saying it to a you know what I mean like yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, just, it's just weird do you think that the, the that everything you just described which I which I relate to is a byproduct 
of the immigrant survival mentality or do you think these are just things embedded in our, in, in our culture because we come from you know i come from communism you know same thing for you what do, what do you think that is i think it is actually something that's that's part of the culture mm. you know i think um you know you're gonna do the things that you've seen right it's a generational thing and i know my my dad's my grandparents never told my parents i love you mm. and you know that they just kind of like copy and paste type of parenting mm. it's like okay well you know my dad did this i turned out okay so i don't have a manual i'm just gonna do that and mm. it was just passed down mm. and um at the core of everything there was just no exchange you know i believe that there was no exchange of emotion there was no exchange of like any hearts it was more just like do what i say mm. and that's it mm. So, of course, you know, that caused rebellion that caused, well, I always have to do what you say. I can't do what I want. Mm. And I just hit the streets after that. Yeah. Yeah. And so <clears throat> your dad, you said, is an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. What's your relationship like with your mom as a kid? Uh, as a kid, I was also very resentful towards her because I felt like she kind of allowed a lot of these things to happen, mm. you know. But now that I'm older, I understand that she had to choose according to our culture her husband, who she's supposed to serve and love and, you know, and, and, and choose over everything and put above everything, be mm -hmm. very submissive. And then she was stuck in between choosing us, too, which mm -hmm. are her kids to provide yeah. for her kids, you know. So I get it now. But back then I would be like, why would you allow these things to happen? Mm -hmm. But I realized it wasn't really something my mom had any control over, actually. Yeah. 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 And so when did it really start going left for you in terms of self-destructive behavior as a kid? When I was about 11 to 12 years old. Okay. And what was that? Do you remember that fork in the road moment? Do you remember when it was like, it's on, like I'm, I'm, I'm turning it up. Yeah. Uh, it started from stealing. You okay. know, I was like a straight kleptomaniac. Um, I was sharing this with China Mac and he was saying the same thing. You know, we, we would start stealing just petty stuff. Mm -hmm. And then it got to the point where it built up this confidence that, okay, I'm not getting caught. Mm -hmm. I could, I don't have to listen to my parents. Um, and I feel like I can do better than my parents. So mm -hmm. even though I was 11, 12 years old. And then after that, I started to hang out with gang members. Mm -hmm. And when that happened, it was just, it just went all bad. I started doing four or five nines. I started doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So, yeah. So the stealing was the gateway. Yeah, I would and say. Like shoplifting? Shoplifting. Shoplifting. Yeah, yeah. Stealing from, you know, grocery stores. Yeah. It starts with gummy bears and then yeah. it's like, you know, whatever, roller skates, whatever it is that we can yeah. take, you know. Yeah, we were stealing from the Tower Records. <laughs> I got caught stealing Easy E's yeah. last album. <laughs> this is like goofy stuff, you know? But that escalated into breaking into houses. Right. And then that caught me a, a, case, a case at 11, right. you know? And so, you, you know, you, you starting out with gang members and... How, what then like how does it escalate uh so you know you kind of get put on right so you you hang out with them first you know they're they're like your family of course they're not just gonna start off you know showing you everything right so yeah. they hang out with you they make you feel kind of loved you mm -hmm. know and and um i don't i don't really think that they had ulterior motives to be honest i just think that they were trying to build this family because i noticed all of us were shattered like we were all in individuals who had emptiness in our hearts mm -hmm. we didn't know what that was we didn't know what void was you don't know what that is at 12 years yeah. old and you're just like these are my friends and i remember like um they would just you know kind of court me into it i guess if you will like okay, so you have to do this. This is what a snitch is. You know, they start to explain and break down what we call lace you up. They lace you up about everything. Mm. And um, yeah, from there, it was just like, okay, 
when you see an enemy, regardless of what it is, like this guy hurt one of your brothers, you got to hurt them. Mm. And they st- and then that's how it started. It started with fights and scuffles. And then it was like, okay, well, dang, you got jumped. All right, bet. Next, here's a 22. Here's a 25. Like wow. now you have to protect yourself. And it's like, it's very simple. You know, they yeah. take us wherever we go, you know, in the mountains or whatever, shoot at cans and, you know, just little things like that. And then it's like they were training us essentially, but... It was all in, in, I guess, with the intention of protecting yourself. Yeah. And then they taught us that you're representing something bigger than yourself. Mm. Don't ever like it's not about you anymore, mm. you know. So um, and that was something that really like stuck hold to a lot of us because we're all brothers. Like in my gang specifically, we have a very unique thing where like me and my brother are in it. Some of my older heads and their brothers are in it, yeah. you know, and if it's not brothers, it's cousins, et cetera. So we're really family. So mm-hmm. it came down to like family first type of yeah. thing. What was your parents thinking about all this stuff? <clears throat> they didn't really know until I actually caught my my case. Okay. They didn't know. They were like, you know, because I would, I would wear one thing to clothes and then I would like, I would, mm. I would stash clothes <laughs> or like have my friends bring it and I would wear the the, the gear after that Ben yeah. Davis or, yeah. you know, red and black flannels and Cortez's and this and that. Yeah. So they didn't know. I, I kind of kept it from them. Yeah. And then when I got arrested, they were like, do you know what your son is part of? And they're like, no, he's a good kid. Like, what do you, mm. you know what I mean? And, and, and yeah. Yeah. My mother was. <clears throat> <clears throat> pretty pretty shocked when she got the call to yeah. go to the. I didn't go to juvie. I went to like like a holding facility. Mm-hmm. And uh, long story short, we were breaking into the house of. We were breaking into a house because our gang leader was in jail. He mm-hmm. was older, and we were trying to get bail money because his baby mama uh-huh. was messing with a new dude uh-huh. and was setting him up. Yeah, yeah, and so I'm the smallest one caught in the window yeah, yeah. of the bathroom. And my buddy gets uh, apprehended by an ex-police officer, and he's like in his arm bar. Mm. And a guy's just like, get, get the F on the ground. So we we all get swooped up, bro. And the moment we walked in, we knew about don't snitch, don't do that. Bro, we all sang. <laughs> we all, this is what happened. You know what I mean, bro? Like right away. And I'm like, yo, I'm not I'm not built for this life. Like I'm not. I'm not built for this, man. And so we all we all we all tell the story and they separate us in different holding rooms. We all tell the story right away. And they they were older. So the other two kids were like like I w- I'm in sixth grade, they're like in high school or like eighth grade, ninth grade, high school. Mm-hmm. So they got like long probation and like a probation officer. I ended up just getting something like unsupervised probation for six months and like oh. some community service because I was the youngest one. Right. And <clears throat> the call, my mom got the call and she still brings it up till this day, bro. Like we were driving back from San Diego and she was like, that's where I had to go to pick you <laughs> up from the, the, the thing. It was, it's, 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 it's embarrassing to look back as a kid, you know, and be like, yo, what was, what was I on? But when you, you process it and you hear other people go through similar things, right. Then, then you, you go, okay, well, I understand the frame of mind that people are in when these then they make these decisions, especially right. when there's a family element. Yeah. You guys are blood family, cousins and brothers who are getting jumped by other groups, ethnic groups. Yeah. And it's and it's there's a we were just bad kids. There was a seems like there was a practical utility to what you guys were going through, you know. Absolutely. And the older guys, how old? How much older were they than you? So, say you're 11, 12, you come around these guys. How much are the guy? How, how much older are they? The older cats, like we had real OGs, so like probably twenty, uh, maybe ten years older. Yeah. And we had generations too. Like there's older homies, there's yeah. big homies. Older ones were like maybe five years older than yeah. us. 
And where are they getting their cues in terms of the structure for how this is working and the gang and all that kind of stuff? I mean, it comes from, yeah, it's just the higher-ups, basically. Just the higher-ups. So yeah. they have a hierarchy of sorts. Mm -hmm. And so then you guys are... Um, it, it goes from robbing and stealing to fighting and defending yourself. And then from that, it escalates to, okay, well, now these are your enemies. Mm -hmm. Was there ever an explanation of why you have beef with this gang or that gang? Or was it just like, they don't like our kind, therefore, when we see them, it's on site? No, it was just more of like, um, you know, there there was explanations. Okay, this is what happened between mm -hmm. these two. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it trickled down to that. And they did. My, they did, they my, did explain it. Yeah, my OGs were very thorough, actually. They explained, like, why we went, why we got into it. Yeah. And um, we're more of a defensive unit, so like we have to kind of think about that, and you know, so it, it, they would explain everything. Okay, yeah. and then what what le leads up to you catching your first case, and how old were you when that happened? So I was twelve years old. Um, I was only three months in the gang, and um, yeah, I ended up catching my first case, which was um, initially a, a robbery um, and kidnapping, but they dumbed it down, luckily, to a dissuading a witness for the benefit of a gang. Mm. It was a group of us. We wanted to rob a drug dealer um, and, you know, he ended up singing, you know, he got mm -hmm. caught and for another, like a whole, whole separate case mm -hmm. and was like, by the way, I know these guys, they're doing these robberies on, you know, mm. other people and, and, and kind of like tipped them off. Mm. And then, yeah, I got arrested, bust down the door, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was at 12 years old. 12 years old. Isn't it interesting <clears throat> where there's this embedded nature of like, don't tell, don't tell. And the high percentage of people that tell. That's yeah. <laughs> like, crazy, bro. It makes no sense, yeah. man. Everyone tells. Yeah. Everyone I mean, yeah. you know, people get mad at like Takashi 69 <laughs> all of that stuff. Or or lately it's been the Troy Ave situation, you know, which which I think is a little different based on the way he tells it, right? They get right. into a scuffle, his buddy gets terminated, deleted, and then it was going to come down on him and then he told in that regard yeah, you know yeah. what do you how do you process the whole like no snitching no telling thing in hindsight like now that you're on the other side of mm -hmm. all this and you're following with Jesus, what do you think of that because there is an element of like if two people go out commit a crime together yeah. it's foul to then tell on the other person like yeah. that's just g gross right yeah, yeah. but in terms of cooperating or in, if you're a civilian like mm -hmm. what, do, what do you think of that now in hindsight in hindsight now that i'm a believer i understand jeremiah 17 verse 9 um, I think a lot of people didn't understand that, where it says the heart is deceitful above all things, mm. desperately wicked, who can know it? There's a lot of people who believe, you know, I'll die for this gang and mm. I'll die for my homie and I won't snitch on you. And they even feel that. But when push comes to shove, the heart is deceitful. Mm. So, you know, I mean, Troy Ave, for example, is a person who, you know, talked about gangbanging and all kinds of crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. And he seemed like a very solid individual. Mm -hmm. From what I hear, his name is the, the block that he's from, right? Troy Ave. So... Um, but the fact that once the pressure was put on him, he was able to, he changed, you know? Mm -hmm. So in my heart, it's, it's actually normal now. Back then it was just foreign. Like you don't snitch yeah. and people really were dying over things like that. You know, they will hunt you down, at least my neighborhood. Yeah. And, um, you know, so, but the fact that, you know, people are doing it, seeing it in hindsight, like it, it makes, it just, to me proves that the Bible is true. Like, mm. The Bible is real. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you think that, specifically with the Troy Ave thing, do you think that that was way outside of the lines of, of, of uh, I guess, the persona? Like, do you think it was incongruent with, with the image he was putting out there? Um, I, 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 I think it was completely outside of the, you know, like what he was 
portraying mm-hmm. you know similar to the six nine situation yeah. where it's like i'm this super gangster i shoot at people but then yeah. he turned and i get it you know i get it but if you're from the streets from where I, where i grew up yeah. you know you it doesn't matter what it is you can't snitch on anything if a cop beats you up you can't tell on him you, you just can't even can't, tell on cops you can't tell whoa yeah so where i'm from like you just you just don't you you never talk about those types of things you never yeah. like if you really about it you you because what we thought was like if you if a person snitches and then say they do murder somebody or whatever mm-hmm. then they get caught for it mm-hmm. um then they could mess around and beat the case mm. and then now there's no re- you know what i mean like we they can go into witness protection they can do whatever it is like they can sure. like run away and we wouldn't be able to get to them type Got of it. thing so you know the mentality was no it's fine like we forgive them and then hold court on the streets basically Whoa. okay yeah. so it's not something that you know is really um it, it, it I, I get it there's times where people are like you know why well, i didn't kill i didn't do this i didn't do that mm-hmm. or oh, i was just a driver like yeah. regardless the ogs if you have actual ogs they will explain that to mm-hmm. you no matter what like this is something that you have to go down for basically yeah. what do you think of the theory that the whole no snitching thing came from police culture because they would never if they were to rough somebody up they would never tell on themselves or hold each other accountable and then that kind of bled into the streets Mm -hmm. i never actually heard of that okay yeah Yeah, yeah, but but if that's the case that kind of makes sense you know but um i just think it was just a way to again you know putting it back on 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 the bible it's like um people don't want their I guess the negative images and the bad things to come out. So if they don't snitch, they just that they're able to stay in the dark essentially. Right. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. But, but if someone's a civilian Mm -hmm. and they, and there's no street element, like Mm -hmm. I got no, you know what I mean? I got a couple of buddies that are like reformed trying to figure it out, but I have no, and someone, you know, robs me or drives or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. That, that, that then isn't extended to civilians. Right. Exactly. It's completely separate. Civilians are civilians. They're going to do that. That's the normal thing to do when you have an issue. You call law enforcement when something goes down as a civilian. Right. But not as in when you're in life. Right. Cause you're, you're signing up for that. Yeah. Right. You know what you're getting into, you know, you're, you're, you're you're doing things and stuff like that. So that's kind of the street element. Yeah. You know, what do you think about Takashi? then getting dealt with recently by some guys that weren't even from the area that you know what I mean? it had nothing to do with it's nothing crazy. and then that whole situation and how unfolded do you think that was pretty um like unnecessary to and because th- now those guys are arrested and they're facing who knows how long yeah, yeah, yeah. you know to to then involve yourself as it had nothing to do with you yeah. and you're you know you're now going back 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 to jail yeah i think again it's all it's all foolishness you know now that i think about it but i understand i mm-hmm. understand why they would do that if if they're you know what i mean if they feel some type of way i can't tell another person how to feel disrespected sure right? so when it comes down to it they felt disrespected by seeing him yeah. you know the one thing i didn't agree with with six nine was when he said you guys jumped me you didn't give me a fair one yeah um the funny thing is, if you're a snitch, you don't give people fair ones either. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, how can you ask for, why yeah. would I give you a fair one? Yeah, the so, whole the whole point of, <laughs> of, you know what I mean, is because it wasn't fair. Exactly. Dang, that's crazy. So yeah. going back to your story, you get hit with this kidnapping charge. And I think a lot of folks don't know, like, because I, I don't know if the laws changed or what, but like these definitions of kidnapping, trafficking, they're not like... I got you tied up in a trunk. Yeah, it's not. It's that's not what that means. You know? Can you unpack like why that was considered quote unquote kidnapping? Yeah. Cause we went to to rob him and then he had stuff at his house, mm-hmm. right? Cause it was like a, a setup by type of thing. And then 
we were like, all right, you you get in the car. Yeah. Right then and there, that's kidnapping. Mm. So you get in the car. Because you're forcing them against their bodily autonomy. Exactly. Yeah. If you force somebody against their will in any aspect, whether in public, whether whatever, it's kidnapping. That's crazy. Yeah. And same thing, robbery too. Like even if you don't even have to get into the house, if you put your foot in the door when they try to close it, mm -hmm. that's an attempt on robbery. You didn't really? have to take anything. Wow. Yeah. That's an attempt. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And then the laws, I think, it's with the Andrew Tate thing, yeah. they they... I knew this because back in Oceanside, we had a big sting operation about 12 years ago where a bunch of folks who were pimping and pandering all ended up getting like swept and arrested. A lot of these guys did double digits, yeah, you know, for sure. be because that law changed and it went from pimping and pandering to trafficking. Yeah. And then if you, and if you go, you're here and then you drive to Vegas and party, yeah. that's now you're interstate. Yes. Now it's federal. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. so these laws are changing in real time and people don't know the law. So then they're not understanding what, what's happening. Do you think that that was possibly it with, with the Andrew Tate situation? Like, I, like I believe just, so. He just didn't know. He's like, ah, oh, I just, I'm, I told her I was going to marry her. And then now she's doing cam business for me. Right. right. In his mind, he just doesn't think there's anything wrong with yeah. it. 100%. 100%. I think like a lot of people get caught up for stuff like that. That's how I got caught up. I mean, you know, it may be biased, you know, with the Andrew Tate. I don't know clearly the whole scoop on his story, so I can't speak on that, yep. you know, accurately. But for me personally, like, I just thought, okay, so I'm going to do a little bit of jail time. You know, I'm the youngest one. I'll take the rap. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a kid. Um, so there were some people who are older, so no worries. And then they ended up... <laughs> like literally hanging me out to dry you know not my homies but the da and everyone yeah. else was like look this kid's 12 years old yes he's 12 years old but we have to understand that you know and this was during the time where it was like the you know like like all the kids were doing crazy things mm -hmm. like they were a lot of youth kids were getting juvenile life for murdering mm. people and stuff and then my gang has a gang file they were little did i know they were building a rico you know, on us Whoa. and stuff like that. So it was like, they were like, this guy is from this gang and they're known for stuff like this, extortion, mm. murder, murder for hire, et cetera, mm. et cetera. So it's like, yeah, he's not, he's not, we need to put him at the worst of the worst. And at that time, the judge agreed. It was like, Jeez. yeah, I, I So what did you that. get? I got four years um, at, in YA. Okay. Yeah, California Youth Authority. And how was that? Crazy. Yeah. Uh, it was, I would say YA was worse than prison, mm. for sure, 100%. And, um, it's not even like a juvenile hall. There's a difference between like LP, Los Padrinos, and then there's like, you know, camp and stuff. YA was like the real deal. It was people getting killed, people getting raped, people getting stabbed, fights every single day. A um, lot of mind games, a lot of, you know, manipulation, a lot of extortion, a mm -hmm. lot of gangbanging, basically. And these were all kids doing doing this stuff to kids. And you're 12. Are you on the younger end of the spectrum of the kids that are there? Yeah, I heard there was 10-year-olds. I personally have seen, like, I think 11-year-olds and 12-year-olds mostly mm -hmm. um, on the youngest end. So I would say I was one of the youngest. Yeah. But I heard there was, like, 10-year-olds in there, too. <laughs> what was the oldest in YA? Uh, oldest was, like, 25, believe it or not. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They get a Wait, YA wait, 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 wait. They got... 12 yeah. year olds or 25 year olds i mean they have them in def different units that's yeah, insane. different cottages and stuff like that yeah. jeez but um yeah it's 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 mainly for for juvenile murder stuff like that but it can go from 10 to 25 essentially holy moly mm -hmm. so you you end up doing four years mm -hmm. and what did that do to you uh it changed me completely i feel like it made me a monster mm -hmm. honestly because cultivated the mindset of like um you have to like, like I said, there's a lot of mind games. So you have to like learn how to manipulate. You have to learn how to lie. You have to go off, like off impulse. Mm. You know, if you feel disrespected, 
you just got to take off. You said the two-second rule, yeah, right? Did second. you learn that in YA? Yeah, yeah. And what is that for people who don't know? Um, so they don't call it the two-second rule, but essentially that's what it is where you, if you feel disrespected and someone is like, oh, you know, has been stealing your stuff or just says F your dead homies, you know, stuff like that, or yeah. boom, your gang or whatever, mm -hmm. that's when you just take off on them. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to. And if you don't, literally, like, people are, are going to start taking your stuff, start extorting you, you know, and... um like, like, whereas in prison, the politics kind of protect you. Mm. You stay with your race. Mm -hmm. You know, people can't just take your stuff. Like, it's it'll, it's going to cause a race riot. Mm -hmm. In YA, it was like you really had to stand ten toes. You mm -hmm. had to fight for yourself because no one's going to help you. Jeez. You know, so it's like you really had to do that. And YA babies understand this. Whoever's watching, yeah. they, know, they know what I'm talking about. It just sounds like a terrible incubator to not rehabilitate kids. Yeah, there was no rehabilitation going on whatsoever. Yeah. I've seen and heard, you know, a lot of even staff would would pit kids against each other. They would set that up. They would set that up, bro. Like, you know, and and I heard some staff even turning out kids, meaning molesting and raping them too. Jeez. You know, so do yeah, you, it was bad. Do, not to get like super duper conspiratorial, but this is where my brain naturally goes. <laughs> do you think that some of this is by design? Do you think that some of, like, do you think it's incompetence of like, we're just terrible at running youth prisons mm -hmm. to rehabilitate to rehabilitate kids that actually could have a shot at life, mm -hmm. and they're just stupid. Like the people that run these things are just dumb and incompetent. Or do you think there's something more sinister of like these kids will eventually plug into the prison pipeline, mm -hmm. and then there's free labor involved mm -hmm. because you know the Thirteenth Amendment is, is isn't applicable to right. folks that are in prison if you're a fourth waiver. Right. All these different things that 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 like long term don't, don't just take away people's freedom, but create a, a cog in a wheel system where they're actually producing stuff. Now, I don't know if it's a net po uh, positive of what mm -hmm. they're producing value in terms right. of like the jobs they do in prison, or if it's a, it costs more to house them than it does to what they produce for these, right. you know, companies, you know, again, not to get super conspiracy. What, what, what do you think of that when I'd like, just kind of throw that at you? I mean, I think like partially probably that's true. There's some, there has to be some of that element in there. Um, from my personal experience, I just feel like these people were just judgmental. Mm. They were there to not even babysit, but just to make our lives like miserable. I think they were going through a lot of things, mm. you know, in their households, um, similar to how cops go through a lot of things. They have to uphold this law, but then they're dealing with all kinds of people. You know, it's a hard job for everybody, you know, so... Um, work is work regardless and especially if you're at this place where it's like man these kids are just ruthless yeah. you know so um they were already judging us off the bat like okay if you're here you're worse of the worst so that's how we're gonna treat you you know it doesn't matter if yeah you took a rap for your homie it doesn't matter if you know you were molested and, and, and whatever you did all this crazy stuff as a kid like they don't care about that they're mm. just like you're here that's what you are you're a ya number and um you know i'm, I'm here to just um probably not try they're not purposely trying to make your life a, like a living hell but because they know that you're you're probably not going to learn you're you know you're this young you're stabbing people you're fighting and, mm -hmm. and conforming then they're just like well this is how we have to you want to act like an animal we're gonna have to treat you like that you know was there any mental health resources no that's the crazy thing about why i don't remember anybody even i mean i just remember people being like claustrophobic and you know stuff like that and they wouldn't care mm. you know they would say things like you're in a cottage you're not even in a cell like just it this just was no help whatsoever and i don't remember anything of anger management and and you know any of that stuff not where i was at i was in nellis y which is really crazy mm. um so i mean i don't remember what about uh chaplains pastors 
Um, I do remember like chaplains being able to come in. I do remember some, yeah, like cat, like fathers, like priests or whatever. Um, they would kind of come in. Um, yeah, I don't really, but I don't remember. I mean, again, this is when I was 12, mm. you know, and, and I don't remember that. I just remember all the fighting. I remember a lot of negative things about yeah. why. So you get out and you are 16. Mm-hmm. And so what happens after that? After that, you know, I get out and then I'm, I'm just, um, just trying to be big and bad. I, I'm not going to lie. I didn't really learn um, from my mistakes. I was. You mean it didn't rehabilitate you? Not at all. Right. <laughs> you didn't learn your lesson. <laughs> exactly. It made me actually more crazier. And I feel like oh, um, gosh, made me kind of feel this sense of um, pride almost. Like, mm. yeah, I made it out of that. Mm. And and I would get that respect because people would be like, bro, you went to YA. You know? and, and then the big homies would be like, okay, calm down. You didn't go to prison yet. So... Somehow I heard it crookedly. Yet. Yeah. Yet. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah. And um, they know, they know, you know, but they tried, they tried, you know, to tell me like, stop being a knucklehead, you know, and, and, but trying to tell a knucklehead to stop being a knucklehead is not, you know what I mean? It doesn't do anything. So for me, I was just like, no, I still have to prove something. And it was just natural. Like yeah. couldn't even handle it when someone would stare at me, you know, I would just like go crazy inside. I would be the type that if I didn't do anything, I would sit at home and just mentally be like killing myself. Oh, you're mm. such a bee. You know, you, why mm. did you let this happen? This, and it just, it would eat at me. Mm. And then I would have to do something super extreme. Mm. So I just learned like, I'm never going to let that happen. I'm going to continuously, you know, just stand 10 toes, whatever they say, pop them, do whatever I got to do yeah. and and do that. And so at this point though, it sounds like some of your big <clears throat> homies are <clears throat> trying to stir you off of the path a little bit. They're saying like, yo, you need to chill. Yeah. Yeah, because, um, you know, at the end of the day, like, we're all family. It comes down to that, you know. And, you know, they, they understand the, I guess, where I'm going, you know, and the path that I'm going because they were on that path, mm. you know. And they still felt a sense of, like, I got to look out for the little homies. I got to look out for the, the, the little bros, you know. Mm. But um, it's always like that. You're young. You're just like, I'm not going to I'm not gonna hear you guys out. Like, I got I to gotta bump my head, you know. I got mm. to stumble a little bit. So... Yeah, I never listened to them. Yeah. You know. I remember when I had gotten in trouble the first time and um my mom was working nights at this point. So I'm just like, dude, dad's not home, mm-hmm. mom's working nights, you know, I'm I'm outside, like literally outside, <laughs> you know. We we broke into all the elementary <laughs> schools. We broke in I remember one time we broke into a Christian school, man. <laughs> I feel so bad about it till this day, bro. And then I got around real gang members. This wasn't me and and like my little refugee yeah, yeah. comrades. Real <laughs> gang members, like dudes from, you know, Lincoln Park Bloods, mm-hmm. dudes from 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 uh, Cripset, and and I would hang out with them at night. And I remember vividly, man. It was one night, and they sent me home, bro. They were like, "You need you need to go to school in the morning, bro. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, you're." Like you're in seventh grade, like right. go home. And so they would let me stay with them a little bit, and we would like walk there. They had like uh, the homie Carl had all these like pit bulls, and uh, I actually want to see how Carl's doing. Carl uh, was an interesting guy. He had one eye, and he would have all these pit bulls. And one night, me and the other homie who who, who we would hang out went and walked the pit bulls for him because Carl was doing something, and we brought the dogs back. And then the dogs got up the next morning. Or, or that night fought and one killed the other one. 
So I wake up to Carl knocking on my door at like seven in the morning. He's like, what, what, what y'all do to my dogs, yeah, man? Yeah. What y'all do to my dogs? Apparently we let him get too rowdy. And so he's like, come on over and help me bury this dog. So it's like seven <laughs> in the morning. I'm walking across the neighborhood and I'm, and I'm burying this pit bull that I was like inadvertently responsible for it hurting itself because Carl had something he had to do. And, but those were the guys that I think deterred me from getting arrested again. Yeah, bro. And then by the time seventh grade ended, my mom like saw and moved us to North County. She moved us to Vista. I was in San Diego. Boom. Now we're in Vista. You you see how it is here. It's yeah, nice. Yeah. It's suburban. It's, yeah. you know, I, I grew up out here, eighth grade, maybe five minutes for where we are now in a car ride. And that's when everything changed. You know, everything kind of changed. And I was like, all right, well, I'm, I got a taste of that. Like I drank, I smoked, I did all the things. Mm. I'm just going to play basketball. I'm just going to play sports. I'm going to be that guy. And it really deterred me. And so it seems like they were attempting to do the same thing for you um, when you got out and like, dude, you got to chill. Yeah. But you were like, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to prove my... Because it sounds like yeah. you were too far gone at that point. Yeah, YA yeah. had did a number on you. Yeah, yeah. It was just too much. And shout out those guys too, man. Like yeah. we need more people like that, believe it or not, who will deter you. I've had a lot of friends who... Who would say that too yeah. you know they grew up in the same area but they're like yeah they were about to get in and mm -hmm. then they just something deterred them you know yeah. and um yeah like we we try to do that nowadays with the young homies too like hey you know just stay home like yeah. gangbanging is dead bro yeah. like make money you know support your family yeah. go to church you yeah. know and and we try to push that so yeah I, I i really do you know appreciate even even the big homies at the time trying to teach us like the right way but again i was too far gone i was why it was just it just made me like no you gotta like you can't trust anybody it mm. cultivated a lot of distrust in my heart you know and i didn't trust anyone which in turn allowed me to only trust myself and um i just yeah i didn't care about anything i had no remorse for anything um i never thought about anything didn't feel bad and just it was bad yeah yeah and so how long are you out until you get in trouble again uh 67 days so Whoa. two months and, oh gosh, and a week <laughs> yeah 67 days mm -hmm. and what's the next thing that happens um i i get caught up for a, a shooting essentially mm. and um you know it was it was bad but essentially they gave me i took a deal um, i was facing 19 um and then i i took a deal for 10 with some change mm. um well 10 10 at 85 percent, which came out to eight and some change so and this is the time where you and your buddy attempted to rob the drug dealer? Uh, yeah, that was that was actually after I got out. Holy moly. Yeah. So okay. after I did all that time. So you so you so you catch a you catch a, a shooting charge mm -hmm. at sixteen. Yes. And you go in for ten years. Yes. I, I get tried as an adult at that time. Wow. Um they pulled up the YA stuff. It was like, look at this kid. Oh you know, my god. We gosh. told you guys and, and and this was in Pomona Court, which was um pretty very well known for like the judge is like i'm they have a gang problem out there so mm. any gang members they get like a pretty much 99 percent conviction rate you mm. know what i mean so um we took a deal um and yeah i mean i ended up doing eight years and some change wow eight years and where are you where, where are you at throughout those eight years uh so i'm all around you know los angeles um county i mean all around the, the California, right? Mm -hmm. So I even end up going to Mississippi um, during the the prison reform, which was when Arnold Schwarzenegger was governor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He was moving, he was making California a lifer prison only. Mm. So everyone who was a lifer would stay in California. Everybody else who had even 20 years, 25, they would 
be going to other places, mm. Oklahoma, Arizona, uh, Mississippi. I was in Mississippi. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, it was mainly California prison, CDC, they call it, California Department of Corrections, and then um, out there in Mississippi too. Wow. And you do eight years. And so then by the time you get out, you're what, 24 yeah. at this point? Yeah. And, okay, so what was, was how different was going from YA to prison? Super different. Um, YA, again, was all gangbanging. It was really a solo type of thing. They mm -hmm. would call it like fighting the, the the car, right? You had to fight a lot. And then um, prison was just all politics. It was like, you are this way. It don't matter if he's in this gang. You guys got to squash it right there and um, keep it respectful. Um, you may not have to squash it. You may still have some animosity, but you have to keep it respectful. And we move as a unit because it was really race against race. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, Hispanics against blacks, you know, whites against blacks, whatever. Like, it was just crazy. So uh, we it was a numbers game at that point. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't know how to program in the first year. It was just too hard for me because I was, like, still on that gang tip type of thing. Mm -hmm. But and, and I would say it's because I was immature. I was 16 years old mm -hmm. going on 17 and... I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. But um, after, you know, they started to lace me up, teach me about the politics that I can't just walk over here and these microwaves belong to this and these shower heads belong to that and mm -hmm. this phone belongs to this. Like, it was just, you know, you get in that routine and it becomes second nature for mm. you. Mm. Yeah. I, uh, I've, I've had a couple of friends that have gone to, to prison and, and they talk about the, the politics and how the politics are different in California prisons than anywhere else. 100%. And then and then this idea of programming, right? Can you can you unpack like some of the politics in a programming? Programming is just uh, your routine essentially and and you know it it involves like um there's individual routines that people do, but we all move as a unit, right? So some people work out different races, I can't speak on them, but for our people, they basically work out, you know, you wake up at a set time, you know, you um, you know, if you want to go to class, go to work, you can do those things, but mm -hmm. you essentially have to kind of move as a unit. Yeah. 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 And then are you getting <clears throat> any, any, uh, nuggets of the gospel at that point? Is, is there any chaplains, any church stuff happening? There, there was, but yeah. again, when you're in prison, it's really looked down upon to go to church because, you know, it's, it's kind of like a weakness, sign of weakness type yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, and but there was chaplains. There was, um, I remember like Mormons going in there, yeah. Presbyterians. I mean, just different different denominations, I guess, if you will. There was also Catholics in there. Um, but again, a lot of it just, I, 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 it didn't really resonate with me at that time. Yeah. yeah. And so, but you weren't exposed to the gospel yet at that time. Um, I, I kind of knew, I think we had a celly. I had a celly who kind of was giving up his life to God. Mm -hmm. So he would kind of share. But I would just ask him questions, mm -hmm. you know, like, well, if there's a God, why do babies die? You know, mm -hmm. like, just, and Although, he couldn't yeah. answer it. All the trick, the Christian exactly, questions. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, which is so crazy because that's naturally part of us, Yeah, you know. But anyway, so I, I was asking him that and he wouldn't answer that. Oh, so if I'm about to die and I confess my and I don't confess this sin, am I going to go to, yeah. you know, and, and anyway. So, yeah, he wasn't able to answer it. And then I had studied, um, I wanted to become Muslim, actually, mm -hmm. Islam a little bit. I had a celly who was straight, full on, like mm -hmm. Islam or all that, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Grew his beard, everything. So, mm -hmm. um, with him, I we would do daily scriptural like studies, I guess, if yeah. you will. And yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Did did the programming create an outlet for 
disciplines on the other side and i asked that because uh there's a there's a guy from out here he we actually <clears throat> went to the same high school his name's wes watson and he kind of is known for this like motivational fitness content yeah i don't know if you're familiar with wes watson yeah, i am yeah. and uh and but and so in his paradigm programming was the pathway for once he got out to go okay i'm going to program and discipline myself my mind discipline your mind discipline my, my body and then that kind of gave him the outlet to do youtube and build yeah. a fitness business and all that kind of stuff do you see a net positive in the same way he does absolutely okay absolutely um again you know certain politics where you don't you don't work out you don't roll up your bed you know you don't like i don't know make your bed you don't you know um just clean your house i guess clean your cell like people will get disciplined for that like dp meaning they will get beat up you know some mm -hmm. some races so i think it definitely does um keep you more disciplined and when you if you maintain that as you get out and you don't kind of conform, mm -hmm. then yeah, it, I can see how people are more disciplined. I feel like a lot of my discipline comes from from prison. From from prison, one hundred percent. And um, yeah, that, that that that's so interesting because I've never thought of it like that until I heard him talk about it, and then some of my other buddies, and they're like, "Oh yeah, like you know, you got it." You know, guys going get jacked, they get super swole. Yeah. You know, did, did you did you strength train a lot? Yeah, and all that kind of stuff. Upside down push ups, burpees, all the calisthenics, one hundred percent. How do dudes get jacked in prison when the when the nutrition isn't great for you? You know what's crazy is um you you the nutrition from the prison like in terms of like them serving you yeah. at in in the in chow hall and all that of course is not good. Yeah. But it's still three meals a day if you yeah. think about. It. So they're actually making you eat, and yeah. then um the second thing is. Um, well, they're not making you eat, but you can choose to eat, and it's it's kind of like this much pro protein, mm -hmm. this much fat. Like mm -hmm. it's it's kind of macros if you think about it. Hmm. Um, and then there's also commissary. Mm -hmm. So like you know you can order things like sausages and yeah. you know you know meat and stuff like that yeah. and canned tuna and things like that. So yeah. when you mix it all together and you're just working out and you're working out two by two with yeah. another person, there's yeah. that motivation there, yeah. you know, and you just keep doing that. And again. Um, there's a lot of trauma in there. So if you're not working out, you're doing drugs. Mm. If you're not doing drugs, you're doing you're running up a debt. You're gambling. I mean, there's a lot of things you can get into, yeah. but a lot of people choose to work out because again, you feel healthier. Yeah, I had a great body in prison too, and I was like, man, that that stuff really kept me sane. Actually, <laughs> yeah. It, it. Do you feel like at this point there's re? Is there rehabilitation? any rehabilitation happening at this point or is it just more like the programming of it all has a net positive but nothing's changing in your mind there was actually some programs there you know but at the prisons that i, w I was at because i was at level three it, it was kind of hard to get on the wait list and things like that mm -hmm. i feel like level two prisoners have more of that like mm -hmm. places in tehachapi where they have like you know welding and and and, and plumbing and things like that like mm -hmm. it would you know but um, for me in my time, I even if they had it, I'll be honest, like I, I did do anger management. I did do counseling in there. Mm -hmm. I did do um, my GED. But at the end of the day, I mean, those were just really the basic like temporary things to kind of occupy my, my time. Yeah. Once the program 16 weeks or 52 weeks, whatever it yeah. is, once it's over, it's over. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you got to find something else to do. Did that stuff help? Um, honestly, for me, it didn't help. It didn't help out like the anger management stuff, you know, it, it, because you're amongst prisoners, you're still amongst politics, mm. no matter what, you can't really apply those things that you learn yeah. because it's a whole different world. You yeah. know, you cannot, you know, just turn the other cheek or, you know, like just, yeah. oh, let me try to like take 10 seconds when someone is coming towards you to stab sure. you and so, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it just, yeah.
Um, is that where your ink started in terms of you getting uh, your work or was that after? Yeah, um, I got a lot of my work in prison. Uh -huh. um, and then a lot of this stuff is mainly cover-ups. Okay. Yeah, inside okay. my neighborhood and, you know, different things, you know, my, my certain stuff on my shoulder, ribs, mm -hmm. all that was, was covered up. Mm. Yeah. Because so it it's not the same quality in in prison no not at all you're you're yeah it's it's you can tell like at least for prisoners when i see another like person i yeah. can tell if they've been to prison or yeah. not. those jailhouse tats yeah. are a real thing <laughs> and they get they, like no they don't just give those out you have to earn your ink in prison um not necessarily, not necessarily honestly bro. it depends i mean um some people i guess different races are like that for our people not really. I mean, there's some people who are like, bro, hook me up with the dragon. Mm -hmm. If anything, we were just guinea pigs for a lot of people. <laughs> They're learning. Yeah, yeah. Because I know a lot of homies who learned how to tattoo in prison yeah. and now they're out here making bank right yeah. so and a lot of my my homies are like look at the work he did you yeah. know 20 years ago or whatever it is yeah. it's completely different but yeah. there's just there's just flesh on top of flesh yeah. bro you know it's like it's a canvases all day so yeah. hey i'm I'm tattooing oh bro i want to get across like yeah. all right cool they, they just learn on them yeah and the more you do it you know you get better at are they freehanding or they a lot of stencil? them sometimes they do stencils okay. too but for the most part a lot of people kind of go freehand too. yeah yeah. Uh, any guys, you said guys came out from tattooing and built businesses around that. Any guys learn plumbing and learn welding and, and go on and do that kind of like like the more blue collar, true collar skill there, sets? There's a, a couple people that I know um, yeah. who did, went in for plumbing or went in for, you know, electrical stuff or whatever. But mm -hmm. again, like it's just, yeah, I, I, I guess you could say it got their foot in the door type of thing. Yeah. yeah. You get out the second time. You are now 25. Four? Am I mm -hmm. doing the math correctly? Yes. Okay. So what's that now that exit? What is that? What is that like? So that was tough. Um, because you know, you're coming out, you know, you got strikes now, you 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 know, you're in an era where it's not necessarily like there's not much uh opportunity. So for me, I you know, I try to apply, I try to fly straight because I was like, okay, this time I don't want to be in there anymore. I'm, I'm getting older now. I'm mm -hmm. empty and I'm lonely and I'm just like, I don't want to feel like that mm -hmm. depressed. Right. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, I wasn't able to apply because I was just telling the truth. I was checking the box mm. and they would do, you know, background checks and stuff like that. But, um, I get back into trapping, basically selling drugs, um, to, to survive mm. and making a lot of money at this time. But, I have to look over my, my shoulder a lot because I'm still on parole mm. at the time. And I'm, if I'm just around validated gang members, which all of my homies are, yeah. you know, they violation. have gang files. Yeah. It's a violation. Yeah. I can get violated for that. So, um, you know, I had to move and I just didn't want to move like that. And, and so I plan on, you know, basically robbing some, again, this original plan that got me locked up in YA is the same thing I try to do again, mm. you know, as I got older, cause that's kind of all I knew, you know, I didn't know how else to, to, to get it. So, um, yeah, this person had a lot of money. I was like, if I inherit all that, I could at least take a cool year to break from all what I'm doing now and just relax, you know. You were that calculated. Like you were running the math yeah, and yeah, saying yeah. he has approximately this much on yeah. him. If I do this, I have a, a, a buffer yeah. of a year or two before exactly. I can figure out my next move. Yeah. And how long were you out from that to, to when you got? A few months. Okay, so you yeah. get out, can't land a job. Yeah. And then you're jumping in back into trapping and this yes, whole thing. 100%. Jeez. So, yeah. And then once I do that, I mean, you know, it's it's just like, 
um, you know, that happened where my, my friend ended up dying essentially um, because of that as a result, which kind of like shook me. And then after that, another friend of mine ended up committing suicide in, in, in jail, yeah. county jail. And you shared this on the, on the Soft White Underbelly story yeah, yeah. in terms of like you guys were both going to get this drug dealer mm-hmm. and your friend stepped in front of you on the opposite side that you were supposed to go on. Yes. And then he ends up losing his life. Yes. And what what did that moment, you're, you have to be in shock. Mm-hmm. And so what 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 did um what did you did you leave like what what happened after that? No, I stayed. You stayed. I I, I froze. I felt like I couldn't leave him. You yeah. know what I mean. So yeah, I ended up getting um, you know, he was sent to the hospital. I was basically questioned. You know all this other stuff. Yeah. But essentially, yeah, I was I froze. A mix of emotion, anger, frustration, confusion, shocked, mm. and just frozen. So yeah, it was it was bad. So they get you because you have firearms and they just pieced it together like all oh, these this is what you guys were about to do like, no they didn't they never pieced any of that together no it was just more like because the, the person who shot left right okay, right so obviously and he was never caught so i didn't say anything again yeah. it comes to that no snitching mentality sure, where i sure. was like i don't know what happened they just we just got shot up yeah and they're like okay you know and then it was it like it was just like um we're gonna take a report oh, i'm sorry i don't i'm not gonna give a report yeah. i don't i don't know jeez like wait what what do you you don't know you don't know. I I don't know yeah I was pulling up and this dude got shot by the time I, I was pulling up I just seen them shoot and that was it I, I yeah. didn't see anything else but what I'm saying is they didn't search and find firearms on you guys no I didn't I didn't on on him um the homie like to be honest you know I don't want to go too into detail but I basically took everything and stashed everything okay yeah. so you, so so you were thinking of like of okay. course wow yeah yeah because yeah. while know, being in shock and seeing that yeah. Gosh, man. Because that's the one thing. I mean, it was like, okay, he's... Honestly, I didn't think he was going to die, to be real with you. Okay. You know, and... um, But then I was kind of like, you know, he did get shot, you know? So I'm like, dang. And and yeah, then when he started convulsing and and making this sound, I was like, oh, it's over for him, for sure. Yeah. And he, you say... But you said he passed at the hospital? He passed right there. Oh, you did pass. Yeah, but then they still... They still... Yeah. Yeah. So at this point you're tw- you're 24, you're out a couple of months. Mm-hmm. And what happens next? So after that, you know, um like I said my friend ends up sending me this letter uh, in code of course, um basically like he's going to do himself, you know, and mm-hmm. um 3 days after that it does happen, mm-hmm. you know, and and then I have another friend who actually, you know, who was shot car to car shooting. Mm-hmm innocent civilian he was a real good kid mm. he was one of the kids who i was like don't 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 join yeah. you know just he's like all right man i'm gonna try to like he was working at taco bell you yeah. know he was trying to like get his old thing together he was a young homie yeah he got smoked so Jeez. after that i'm like man there's like so much death around the corner like what's going on and mm. for the first time in my life i started to feel like my time was limited mm. i was like okay i'm gonna die soon mm. i already know it and and it's it's gonna come and there's nothing like I just felt this overwhelming of there's nothing you can do to stop it. Yeah. You know, and um, it's like a sign type of thing, yeah. you know, but um, yeah. And then my mom's car breaks down and, um, you know, she's in San Bernardino. Um, she's a piano teacher at this time. Yeah. And um, yeah, she's like, can you come in and pick me up and take me to church? And I have to translate, you know, I have to do this. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. You know, like yeah. I don't have anything to do. I don't have a job. So I pick up my mom, bring her to church. And then I kind of talk about it in Southwood Underbelly where, yeah. you know, I essentially receive salvation and, and like, you know, speak to the pastor and, and learn like really what sin is, what, you know, grace is, what 
what you know having the remission of sin is like all of that mm -hmm. yeah and the 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 pastor uses a bunch of different illustrations yeah, for you and it just it just kind of clicked it was the way he presented it yes was there anything else he did because he had to have known some of your background right mm -hmm. was there anything else he did in terms of contextualizing the gospel for you because that's kind of a question people thinking like man how do how do we reach folks mm -hmm. who are coming from these marginalized mm -hmm. disenfranchised areas mm -hmm. that yeah, some of this you made bad decisions, but some of this is like your environment. Yes, you know what I mean. Like you're you're 12 years old, you're 13 years old. You don't, yes. you're not fully, you know. They say our brains isn't fully developed yes. in terms until we're 25. You know exactly. How, what what was it about that pastor and the way he connected with you that made it click? He talked about um, this idea of trusting and self like righteousness, mm. believing in myself. Mm -hmm. He says, you know, I don't know you, but Johnny, people like you. Are, are are you're all throughout the bible mm. i said well really like people like me you know mm. and he's like yeah because you believe in yourself mm. you know and when you believe in yourself it seems right you know because that's what the world teaches us mm -hmm. but god says i'm not of this world right so he says you have to think about it you know you you trusting yourself if you're a person who's perfect mm -hmm. then yeah you should by all means he said but you're an imperfect person yeah trying to produce perfect results mm. That's why you ended up empty. Mm. And that hit me. I yeah. was like, how does he know that I'm empty? Yeah. Like that, that, that was something that I never shared with anybody. Yeah. I didn't even know what that was. Yeah. I just always felt like this hole in my heart walking around, just like feeling like somebody's standing on my chest 24 seven. Yeah. But outwardly, I got to keep it gangster and I got to like not show weakness, but inside I was dying. Mm. And he was like, yeah, that's why. And then I, I just, it just blew my mind. Like, he spoke literally to the core of my heart. Sheesh. Whereas everyone else was like, you know, Johnny, like the reason why you're like, you got to stop doing this. You got to stop doing yeah. that. And I'm like, how? Mm. You know, so he put it in a way where basically he was teaching me that like not lean not on my own understanding. Yeah, yeah. But all I did was lean on my own understanding. Yeah. And that's why I was living the way that I lived. Yeah. And then he started to talk about how we, you know, the apple seed analogy yeah. where yeah. he says that. You know, when you look at the seeds of an apple, where's the apples? Yeah. It's just a seed. Yeah. But if you plant it as it grows, you know, essentially it'll only produce apples. Right. He said, when you look at a baby, likewise, it's very innocent looking. Mm -hmm. But then you were very innocent mm -hmm. as a kid. Mm -hmm. Would you say you're innocent now? And I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> you know, he's like, it's the same thing with sin. You mm -hmm. don't see it. But just because you don't see it doesn't mean that. And actually, there's a part where I didn't really go into on soft white. But he says, if you cut off all the fruits of the apple tree, mm -hmm. Does it then make it not an apple in the yeah, tree anymore? And I was like, no, it's still an apple. Exactly. You may look nice. You may remove all your yeah, tattoos. Yeah. But if you're still, if you're born a sinner, mm. that's what you are. Yeah. You know? Wow. That's so good because people can work through their dysfunction without God. Exactly. Right? Like people can stop smoking. People can stop drinking. People right. can stop fornicating. They right. can do all these different things. Stop looking at porn without Jesus. But the the core and the fa fabric of who they are is still the same. It's still the same. Exactly, and that's what he was saying. You know, he said if if it was just praying well, and you know, if it, and this is something I didn't share. He said if it's just praying well and treating people well and loving neighbor as yourself, and mm -hmm. you know, just repenting and feeling bad and crying and regretting, then people don't need Jesus. Yeah, they can do that on their own. He said monks do that. I yeah. mean, everyone does that. Yeah. You know, you don't need God, but. You know, why did Jesus have to die? Yeah. And then that's yeah. when he explained it. Because yeah. you yourself cannot get yourself out of this emptiness. Yeah. 
that hit me like shook me completely and i was like he's like have you tried you've yeah. tried drugs you've tried women you've tried alcohol you've yeah. tried everything yeah. making money yeah why do you still feel like that yeah because you know god's word he said another analogy is is like the hand right and your heart is like a glove mm. if you try to put money in it it won't fit mm -hmm. a glove is made for the hand mm. so your heart is made for the word of Come god on. and i was like what yeah and he was like so you know that's why johnny like you need god mm. it's not that you know you should try to give your life to god people think he says that they have to do something for god and then that's when he kind of explained the sixth day he said if you think about it johnny you're not christian but god made us on the sixth day i said okay what does that have to do with anything and he goes you know on the sixth day he says after that he rested so after god made everything then he made us, meaning proving to us he didn't need our help. And I was like, wow. He's like, you yourself, Johnny, can't do anything for God. God has to do everything for you. Yeah. And then that's when I was like, oh, it just, this little bit of hope started entering my heart. <laughs> he's like, Johnny, you your emptiness is is really big to you. It's, yeah. it's a problem to you. You're suicidal. I said, yeah. He goes, but do you think it's a problem to God yeah. if you actually think about it? Yeah. And I was like not at all yeah. and he goes amen yeah. so when you become connected to god he said and he used another analogy about electricity yeah. he said you know there's all this electricity in this world right and he says but if you don't take the cord of a like let's say a refrigerator and you don't plug it into that electricity mm -hmm. it's into the outlet the the refrigerator can't run on yep. its own yep he said god too he has all this infinite power but if you're not connected to him yeah. his power doesn't become yours good. then you have to start trying to manage your thing with antidepressants and whatever it yep. is that yep. you have you know yeah and then i was just like blown away he just yeah. kept blowing my mind like every single well, it's, it's not like he's reading your mail man he's he's <laughs> he's he knows what's going on yeah. was the, the in hindsight I'm, i mean i'm sure you probably think this right now but like was there a prophetic element to what he was saying like like because I, I don't know what denomination this is yeah, yeah. you know but the, but but it seems like he's speaking in a very prophetic manner about mm. things that only you would know mm -hmm. and that's probably what you needed at the time mm. to, to to like whoa like this is real yeah, yeah this is so real i think honestly he just read the bible a lot and understood people's hearts because mm. i asked him that day yeah. too how did you know? Yeah. I said, like, how did you know? Yeah. And I'm assuming he was going to say something like, oh, God showed me and, yeah. you know, whatever it yeah. was. No, he goes, no, Johnny, like, the Bible is a mirror image of us. Yeah, that's good. God has made the Bible not for the woman caught in the act of adultery, but that woman already passed. Why mm -hmm. would he have to record mm -hmm. that? It's for us. Yeah. It's to show us that we are the women caught in the act of that's adultery. Good. We are this. We're... And I was like, oh, okay. So he said, it's really a mirror image to you. You know, he says it's the Holy Bible, but if you notice, it has a lot of sin in it. Mm. You know why? Because it's it's who we are. Yeah. It's our nature. So he's like, that's, I don't know you, yeah. but God knows you. Yeah. And then he talked about John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word of God and the word was with God and the word was God. Yeah. So he's like, this Bible, he's like, touch it. You know, I touch, he's like, that's, you're touching God. And I was like, what? That's crazy. But I never heard of it that way, mm. you know? Um, so yeah, he didn't say anything about you know prophesy or anything yeah. like that he was just more like the word of god knows you and it says in genesis 6 5 jeremiah 17 verse 9 like all these different verses of who you are mm. and why you shouldn't trust yourself mm. and that's why you have to trust in god and yeah. jesus yeah you know? and, and 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 the way you put that elo eloquently was that you think that that is often the root of the the, the deeper sin right the external sin is 
well, you, you're violent or you did this or you did that, right? But the deeper sin is ultimately trusting in your ways and not trusting in God's ways. Amen. Amen. So I talk about that a lot because what how I put it is a symptom of sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, you yeah. know, like anger, frustration, you know, murder, all of that is, it, it, it has to link back up to the sin, mm-hmm. which is, you know, unbelief, yep. right? Like, if I'm a person who God is saying, okay, Johnny, go left. And then I'm like, no, I don't think so. I'm going to go right. Mm-hmm. Then I can't follow God. Yep. Right there, that unbelief starts to trickle into sin. Yep. You know what I mean? So um, it's like a virus. You know, it's like cancer. Yep. I talked about it, you know, a little bit. But pastor told me that sin is like cancer. If you start losing your hair and you start losing weight, well, if you wear a wig and you start fattening up, it doesn't get rid of the cancer. Yep. Yep. Right. But that's what people are doing every day. Oh, I'm I'm watching porn. I need to stop doing that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm angry. I need to like control myself. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. You have to get rid of the thing that causes all of that, mm. which is sin. Yeah. And that's when he preached the gospel to yeah. me. Through, yeah. And so you give your life to Jesus and you're, how old are you at this point? Uh, I am, it's what, a year? So about 25, 25 and a half. So 25 and a half. Yeah. And how does your life change then? Because I'm, I'm assuming there was still a sanctification process to mm-hmm. all of this, because this is a couple of years ago now. What, 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 what happens after that? So after that, I start to, pastor tells me, you know, Johnny, it's it's a it's a good thing if you were to kind of come to church more often. He says that, right? <laughs> I love yo. I love how the, is he is he speaking Mandarin to you? He's, or is it he's actually speaking Korean to a translator, and the translator is telling me, "Whoa!" Yeah, so it's not even directly to me, bro. Because so, <laughs> here I'm th- like I'm I'm trying to visualize this, and I'm like, "Yo, is this in English?" And so he says, "Say say how you said that again, because I'm I'm going to use this line on some family members." Yeah. What it, he said, it may be a good idea for you to start c- coming to church yeah. more often. He said, he said word for word, I think it would be a good idea, and my hope is for you to oh, come good. more often. Yeah. And I said, okay. He said, but think about it. You yeah. Know, please think about it because the way you led your life, Johnny. And the way that God will lead your life, yeah. it's going to be completely different. Yeah. And that's my hope for you. Wow. That's what he said. Wow. And then I just felt like peaceful. Yeah. Like I felt hopeful when he was saying, not because he used the word hope, but I was like, you know what? Like the fact that I just met you mm-hmm. and the fact that you pretty much came, like dissected everything inside of my heart and pulled it out in front of me for me to see. Mm. I was a, I was able to say that I was able to realize that this man leading my life is better than me leading my own Come on. life. Yeah. Right. So I was like, okay. You know, and he was like, really? And I was like, yeah, I mean, when are your services? You know, and then he was like, Wednesdays, Sundays, Fridays, we have regional meeting, this and that. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll try. And then for like the first few months, I was going to them, mm-hmm. you know, and I really felt different. Mm. You know, he was breaking everything down. He was talking about the the Good Samaritan. He was talking about all these different biblical stories yeah. and tying it into how it represents us, mm. you know. And um, I was just like shocked, you know, so I was learning. But again, you know, at this time, my friends were also trying to hang out. Mm-hmm. I still had a really bad relationship with my father. I didn't talk to him. Yeah. So one day pastor asks me, you know, Johnny, how is your relationship with your dad now? I'm like, oh, I still don't talk to him. You know, he's like, but, you know, you should, if you think about it, you know, you should apologize to him. And, you know, it kind of goes through that, you know, and I'm like, apologize to my dad. Like, yeah. what the heck? Like, yeah. he's, he should apologize to me. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't ask to be born. He had a, he had a responsibility um, to treat me well and provide for me and this and that. And that the thing that shook me inside was he said, you're right, Johnny. You're right that your father was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. You're right that he beat you. You're right that you didn't have a good household it was traumatic this and that but because of that you're also miserable Mm. 
And then I was like, that's true. Mm. You know, when you go out, you know, you see other families who are hugging on their, you know, kids hugging their dads and you're also envious of that, right? Mm. So, you know, for me, I would say, you know, and then he gave me another analogy, you know, when people go to war, basically people fight. Um, it's because two sides, opposing sides, think that they're right. Mm. But when one side surrenders or becomes wrong, that's when peace can start to come and mm-hmm. heal. Mm-hmm. And he also used the analogy of war. You know, when two countries are fighting, um, you know, they the, the 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 roads are broken, the people suffer, everyone around suffers. Mm-hmm. But when one side's like, okay, I'm done, you know, I, I give up, you know, then they can start rebuilding the roads. They can start, you know, rebuilding families yeah. and and economy and all that. Yeah. So. He was teaching me that. And so you go, you take your dad out to lunch, mm-hmm. you call him, you guys go out to lunch and, yeah. and what happens in that time? So I take him out to eat pho, you know, Vietnamese food. And um, yeah, he, it's just awkward. You know, we sit there and, and I'm just like, oh, this guy like. Are him and your mom together at this they're point? Still they're still together. Like, wow. Yeah. So my mom, she was like a champion, man. She was She the has one. to be praying for him and all of this. 100%. Right? 100%. And um, he was still doing his thing, being an alcoholic, and, mm. you know, whatever. But um. Yeah, so we get there, and and I just tell him, like, Dad, I'm sorry, you know. I'm sorry for being a bad son. I'm sorry that I didn't turn out the way you were. And, you know, I, I, I like, I brought shame to the family. Mm-hmm. And my dad starts crying. Mm-hmm. Like, he pauses, and he just starts crying and crying and crying. And then he f- kind of finally gathers himself, and then he tells me, no, son, I'm sorry. Jeez. I'm sorry for being a bad father. Mm-hmm. I didn't know, like, you know what you were going through i'm also sorry for that i couldn't control my drinking i'm sorry that you know you were getting bullied and i wasn't there for you to help you and be a protector and all of that you know so i'm over here now bawling my Mm -hmm. eyes out he's bawling his eyes out we start holding each other probably a little awkward scene at the vietnamese yeah everyone was looking at us (laughs) one because we're crying and number two asians don't show that type of emotion Mm -hmm. you know so yeah and, and it was just it was it was a beautiful thing, bro. Yeah. yeah. And so that reconciliation flowed out of the reconciliation you had with God. And it yeah. reminds me of that verse, I think it's in 2 Corinthians, where he says, you are now ministers of reconciliation, Amen. reconciling the world Amen. back to God the same Amen. way God, right? Like, Amen. it's like we're representatives of that. Yeah. And you're experiencing that with your family. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And, and you know, through that, you know, my father really changed a lot. You know, and he was like, okay, Johnny's not carrying a gun anymore. He's not doing drugs anymore. He's definitely not getting violated. He's respectful to the POs. Mm-hmm. And um, what's going on? So he asked my mom, what's going on with him? Yeah. Um, so you're not even sharing Jesus with him. You're literally just like, I just want to be reconciled. Yeah, because I, I, I talked to the pastor. I said, look, pastor, I, I think I feel like I should share with him the gospel now. Mm-hmm. And he goes... You you don't have to do that. Mm. I said, what? What do you mean? He said, because I know I know like people like your father. He mm-hmm. says, you know, they probably hate the church, and mm-hmm. you know, like in this. And I was like, yeah, my dad hates the church. You know, mm-hmm. he's had really bad experiences with it, and um, <clears throat> so he told him, all you have to do is show him how happy you are, mm-hmm. and that will pique his interest. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. He's like, just talk to your father about how happy you are, and don't manufacture the happiness. Really, be happy. If you're not happy about it, don't talk to him about yeah, it. Yeah. Just keep it as it is. God will work. I believe that. Mm. And I was like, okay, cool. So I would tell him, you know, dad, I'm really happy. Like you want to go to this, you know, football game or he's like, yeah, let's do it. You Mm -hmm. know? And I would kind of share my heart (laughs) with him. And then the amazing thing is he would started to realize and his testimony 
part of his testimony when mm-hmm. he talks about it to other people is me. Mm. He's like, you know, my son was more happier than I was, and I don't know how that's even possible. Mm. I didn't live half of a hard life that my son did, but he was much more happier. Mm. But that drove me to go talk to the pastor, and then the pastor started t- doing the same thing to my dad, at least wow. lacing him up, telling him that, you know, that whatever he did, Romans chapter 7, verse 15 and 17, you know, because my dad actually, people don't know, he was drinking a lot because when he was younger, he accidentally killed somebody. No. And so that was always weighing down on he numbing his, himself. Yes. So, and I didn't know that. Yeah. He never shared that with me. Yeah. And, uh, but he shared that with the pastor mm-hmm. and the pastor was like, you know, actually, yes, you feel bad. Mm-hmm. Yes. Of course you were driving that day. Maybe you messed up or whatever, but actually it wasn't you who did that. And he's yeah. like, no pastor, I did that. Mm-hmm. That was me, mm-hmm. you know? And he goes, no, if you think about it, you trusted yourself. If mm. you look at Romans chapter seven, verse fifteen, it says, "For the things that I do, I do not, uh, I do not understand. Mm-hmm. For the things that I want to do, I don't do, mm-hmm. and the things that I hate, that I do." Yeah. So he said, "Did you wanna kill this person? No, you just went out to party, yeah. got a little drunk, and you, you're just gonna go home. Yeah. But you ended up doing that. Why? Because you believed in yourself. Yeah. Yep. You know. It's good. And then he said, Romans seven seventeen. Therefore, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in yep. me." So he's like, what's doing it? And my, it clicked to my dad. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's the sin. Yeah. You know, so he, he's like, you have to get rid of the sin and then yeah. preach the gospel. You know, it, I, I had a tumultuous relationship with my mother and my father because I found out later that my mother kind of kept me from my father mm-hmm. uh, and because I, I confronted my dad. So we, your temperament was much more Christ-aligned. Like mine was like, yo, like I knew we had to talk about it and we were in a better place decades later and I'm coming around and I just kind of pull him to the side <clears> and it's like, what ha- Like what happened? Like what, where were you? What, what? You know, because my dad got remarried mm-hmm. and lived five ten minutes for me but like wouldn't really see me like that and he had a whole new family and so i grew up i grew up without him and then he moves away to poway and further further so when i asked him what happened he was like uh you know well we me and your mom were coming to america we were going to start fresh we were already almost divorced back mm-hmm. back in baku he was working in moscow so there's all this tension but going back and forth on their marriage the pogroms break out so he has to stay there permanently can't come home mm-hmm. We're more fair-skinned because we so we don't look Armenian. We we stayed in, in back in Baku and kind of blended in. And uh, he basically goes on to tell me like, "Hey, do you remember when we came here? You found these letters with kissy marks on them, lipstick kissy marks on them, and you brought them to me. And you thought that your mom was writing them for me, but really she was writing them for her boyfriend back Dang, in Baku. That's crazy. And he said that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And then after like I left. Because we were supposed to have a clean slate, she was still talking to this dude, and then he's like, and then she like basically would prevent me from seeing you. She would say, "I'm not your your son," all this stuff. I'm um, not your, you know, he's not your son, yada yada yada. And so like the 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 flashback of that moment came, mm-hmm. and then I kind of went through this weird season of like resentment towards my mom, and you know, I think that there's a supernatural thing again in the ways of God where honor your mother and father. You know what I mean? Like that's that's the clearest day. Like there's a specific way God wants us to deal with our parents. And bro, a couple of years ago, like literally a week before the pandemic and everything shut down, me and my mom didn't talk. She needed both of her hips replaced. And because she couldn't really walk well, she was still working. She fell and she broke her shoulder. Oh, like really, really, really bad break. And so she was forced to call me because she couldn't call anybody else. Right. So. I had to like step in, take her to the emergency room, get her insurance. She didn't have insurance. The house was crazy, bro. It was bad. 
And so in that process, man, my mom ended up getting her shoulder fixed, getting both of her hips fixed so she can like walk now, got off of alcohol because of that. And there's our relationship is a hundred times better. My relationship with my dad is a hundred times better. But dude, there was something in the in the spiritual that unlocked once I reconciled and honored my mother and father. That 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 I can, it's hard to even put words into, yeah, you know. Yeah. But there was something that happened, so I, I relate <clears throat> to your story so much, man. In terms of that reconciliation, <clears throat> I wish I was more diplomatic and polite <laughs> and Christ-like in the yeah. way I, I handled it, you yeah. know. But we're in a really really cool place, and I know my dad like admires me a lot now, and it, it, it's dope, man. That's um, amazing. Yeah. What um what happens after that? Like, how do you adjust to this new life and like? career job like what like what what comes after that i know you're married you have a family now can you talk share a little bit about that yeah so essentially i um you know just continue moving forward with the gospel mm -hmm. um you know i would ask pastor everything um should i get this job should i do this should i do that and um you know he he was kind of sharing with me that you know it's it's okay you know i am that breaking system for you if you will you know mm -hmm. so um, when he was, when I followed him, like I noticed my life was getting better. You know, mm -hmm. the job, he, he taught me this one thing, which I think blew my mind. He said, um, you need to have the mentality to work a lot and gain a little. Mm. And I was like, so he was teaching me how to serve mm -hmm. without actually telling mm -hmm. me serve people. Yeah, yeah. Right. And he said, because there's a lot of people who have this mentality of work a little to gain a lot. Mm -hmm. And what we call those people scam artists. Mm. Right. He says, nobody wants people like that around, mm -hmm. but Johnny. Your job is to gain the hearts of people. Mm -hmm. So if you're a hard worker, everyone wants that around. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he was teaching me because I was like, I'm too good for, I still had that pride. You mm -hmm. know, I'm making 30, 40,000 a month back then. I don't want to be making anything less than 10 G's a mm -hmm. month, you know, but he told me, no, it's, it's okay. You know, mm -hmm. as you work with God, he will align and provide everything for you. So yeah, I start to, you know, just follow his guidance, literally everything he was saying, you know, um, I, I, I kind of just gave to him, which is something that's scary and a lot of people yeah. can't do, you oh, know, because yeah. it's like, but he was, I, I just naturally for me, I was, I saw that God had taken all of my strength out of myself to trust in myself. Mm -hmm. And that's when I was able to experience the, the work of God, mm -hmm. you know, because God does the job of just stripping everyone of their own strength, of their own righteousness, mm -hmm. and then emptying them out completely so he can pour him himself into them, right? So for me, um, yeah, I start, you know, working. I, I just get like a little nine to five type of job. Mm -hmm. And then pastor's like, you know what, Johnny? Actually, you should, you know, we're having this prison program coming up, you know, it's mind education and this and that. You should actually go in there hmm. and see, you know, pray by the grace of God because you do have a record and stuff like that. Once you get off parole, mm -hmm. you know, let's, let's try it out, you know. And 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 I did. Once I got off, I was praying about it. I was like, God, help me with this prison ministry stuff, mm -hmm. you know. And um, you know, I went and and here we are. You know, I'm still doing that. Um, and and that's kind of where I I get my bread and butter, if you will. So you do yeah. prison ministry as yeah. as like your vocation. Yes. That's dope, dude. Yeah, yeah. That's Full -time. way cool. Yeah. How long have you been doing that? Uh, I was doing it since, what, 2017, 2018? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And how long have you been married now? Uh, it's been, what, 2018 as well. Okay. Yeah. Congratulations. And uh, Thanks, family as well, kids? One kid. One kid. Yeah, That's yeah. amazing, bro. Yeah. Um, So the whole, the whole thing kind of, like, works out for mm -hmm. you, man, in a very dope way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
after going on soft white underbelly you get into some youtube stuff which we'll link your youtube channel below you guys should go subscribe sure. um your audience is exploding um how did all of that come about how did that was because that, that seemed super just the hand of god you know yeah, what i mean yeah. um how did that all come about so shout out mohawk matt and cinemills tv um these people are kind of the people that kind of got me linked up with mark from mm -hmm. soft white underbelly mm -hmm. um with matt you know i've known him from before and and you know stuff like that but we're essentially um he was on soft white underbelly okay and then he was like you know basically like pitching me to to um you know mark basically mm -hmm. and through that you know i get on and and mark he tells me like you know this is kind of like christiany stuff right mm -hmm. so i didn't know actually that he wasn't a believer mm -hmm. Um, but he tells me that, you know what, I'm just going to release it anyway. Mm. You know, out of 10 interviews, he chooses one, mm. essentially. Um, he chose mine, and then it just blew up. Mm. It blew up. And I think about it, you know, <clears throat> what did I do on there? I just shared my testimony. Yep. You know, so. It was beautiful, yeah. man. The way that you just came on and just unapologetically shared. Yeah, bro. It was crazy. And he told me, too, Mark was like, you know, unanimous, unanimously, like, the comments were positive. You know, I'm not a person who really tries to read comments, mm -hmm. but he 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 said that and it was just amazing. I just did a follow up with him. It's out now as well. But essentially he wants um he wanted to kind of understand like where I got this peace and like forgiveness inside of my yep. heart. Yep. You know, and yeah, now we we, we, we talk and that's and, so cool, man. Yeah, it's amazing. And his platform is really interesting. He's he's had a couple Christians on there before, but that was definitely the first one that came across my radar. His folks were like, yo, you, you guys said check this guy out. You gotta <laughs> check this guy. And then I and then I check it out and I remember watching it and then i saw some other podcast you were on that's that's i think that when i reached out to you mm -hmm. and then i hit i hit china mac and i was like yo have you, you you familiar with this cat and then i go to his instagram and like i go oh no i go to your instagram and i go a couple down i'm like oh y'all already did the mac yeah. eats episode <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. and i'm like bro that's such a trip you yeah. know so uh software underbelly blows up your youtube channel is taken off your instagram's taken off Everything is going is going amazing. Yeah. Uh, are we going to be getting more content from you? Absolutely. Come on. Absolutely. So um, right now I'm also getting kind of um, like they're ask they're flying me out to do guest speaking and yeah. stuff like that at different churches, mm -hmm. and um, you know that's what it's all about for me. I'm just trying to preach the gospel, yeah. you know, and and I'm working with a lot of influencers now yeah. who are you know also like kingdom based and yeah. faith based, and yeah. they want to advance this gospel. So. Yeah. For me, that's that's what needs what the world needs right now. Yeah, you know? that's awesome, man. Yeah, guys, we're gonna go over to our Patreon exclusive segment. I'm gonna ask Johnny a few more questions, specifically about his interaction with his former uh, gang members and how all of that works. Because there's a family dynamic there. We're gonna talk about um, the use of profanity and where he kind of lands on that because uh, mm -hmm. that was some of the pushback you guys had uh, when I reacted to his video and a couple other topics. So meet us over on Patreon. Hey, if you enjoyed this video and you want to see the full extended version of this podcast, be sure to sign up for our Patreon community for only $5 a month. It'll really help us continue contextualizing the gospel using YouTube, media, and podcasting. And in exchange, you will get full unedited versions of the podcast, of our daily after-party streams, a discount for our merch store, and exclusive access to our private Discord server. It's only $5 a month. The link for Patreon is in the description of this video as well as the pinned comment below. Again, hit the link in the description, sign up now, and I'll see you over there, all right? Peace.